my heroes have kind of changed as I've gotten older. Growing up, like the Kurt Cobain, Tupac Shakur, these kind of guys. But as I've gotten older, I've thought, why am I idolizing them? I should probably idolize, even if it's not real, it's like, it'd probably be better to idolize like Jesus or like the Buddha, right? Even if their like stories are fake, there's no like flaws there. Like that's a better North Star. So it's not every day that you receive a text message from a multi-platinum selling artist. Someone who's written songs for everyone from Justin Bieber to Pharrell Williams to Big Sean, 2 Chains, Wiz Khalifa, Nelly, Snoop Dogg, and many, many more. Now, when you hear his name, you'd think of music. You would think of talent. You would think of songwriting. But when I met this individual, we went so deep so spiritual, so internal, so quickly. Today's guest is Mike Posner. I love the fact that we got into such a meaningful conversation beyond music, beyond money, and beyond fame. And his new album is out right now. It's called A Real Good Kid. And he even performs two songs from the album on the podcast. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Welcome, Mike Posner. Mike, it's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for being here, man. I'm really yeah. grateful. I want you to know that I really am grateful that we connected recently. And I really appreciate you being here, man. You got it. I'm grateful we connected also. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen your videos before. So I'm like, there's the guy, man. <laughs> I was listening to your music for a long time before too. So when yeah, we got that's connected. that's cool, man. That's cool. And, and it was nice because I remember Tom who connected us. He, he, was, he was like, you guys are both. You both have 3 billion views, so you should connect. And I was just like, I think there's a lot of other reasons we should connect too. But uh, yeah, yeah, man, I wanted to start off by just saying, yeah, I've been a long time fan of your work and your music. So the fact that you let me listen to your album before this, mm. I, I really appreciate it. And mm. so thank you so much for doing that. But I want to start off by, we were on a call, I think about two, three weeks ago, and you were in a bookstore. Which books did you end up buying? Are any of them any good? I ended up buying... A Gentleman in Moscow. Okay. I just finished that. Yeah. It was really good. Okay. What was that about? It's a novel about, uh, it's fiction about a guy uh, in the USSR in like the 20s and 30s. And he basically is sentenced to live the rest of his life in this one hotel. And it's a nice hotel, but he's not allowed to leave it ever again. And he gets into all these different things and nooks and you know story takes turns and people come and leave and uh it was really fun it was really really good book and then i bought uh the stranger by Camus that i started yesterday because i just finished the gentleman in moscow and i haven't been like i'm not all the way in yet okay (laughs) but we'll see okay so i just started that and then i bought um brian wilson from the beach boys he has a autobiography i bought that and then i think i bought some that's all i bought I bought three okay. you read a lot yeah i have been this year this year I've, this is probably the most i've ever read maybe read like 20 books this year wow it's like the most for me but yeah i've been reading a lot that's a lot in a yeah yeah what's been the best one what's been the highlight standout one honestly uh i read that uh the power now by mm. eckhart tolle mm which was a book I avoided for a long time because it's, it's popular, you know, it's everyone talking about. 
Oprah talk, Eckhart, the power of now. And I thought, if it's popular, it's not cool. That's why, I, you know, foolishly, right. I, I always wanted to be like, find some like Underground. Se- secret. Exactly. So I never read it for like years and years and years. And then I finally read it. I was like, oh, it's popular for a reason. It's good, man. <laughs> I read that book like four or five times this year. Yeah. yeah. And we were just looking through my shelf and you said you'd read the Bhagavad Gita. Yes. Yes. When did you read that? What do you think of it? I read that actually when I was visiting India for the first time, uh, the only time so far. That was a year and a half ago. I remember just getting like high reading that book. You know, it was like a, a, like a physical experience. <laughs> it was really something else. Amazing, you know? man. What was the t- first time you read it? The first time I read it, I was 16 years old. So I read it that time. And at that time, it was very philosophical for me. Really powerful for getting through some things I got through at 16. Then I read it again at 18. Then I read it again at 21. And then when I became a monk, I studied and taught that book for three years full time. Mm. So it became a huge part of my life. And even now when I'm working on writing my own book, I'm taking a lot of principles from the Bhagavad Gita and making them relevant and accessible. Actually, the power of now has so many roots in chapter 14 of the Bhagavad Gita. What's chapter 14? Chapter 14 is all about the modes of material nature. Mm. A mode that makes you focus on the past, a mode that makes you focus on the future, and a mode that brings you in the present. And so chapter 14 of the Bhagavad Gita really goes deeply into the different modes that we operate in. I mean, we do two hours just on the Gita, man. (laughs) (laughs) You tell me stuff like that. We could, we could. That's what we're going to say for our time. Yeah. Did you ever have this experience? Like, I remember being, I don't, what city I was going to, but I was in India on a plane. I was reading it. I remember just feeling like. The veil has been lifted, like all this weight came off, and I was just like goofy smile on my. I felt like I took drugs just from this book, man. Did yeah. you ever have something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. That that spiritual knowledge can be intoxicating in a good way. In a good way, it's almost like detoxifying. But in the process of that, it feels like you get intoxicated first, and then it's stripped away. Right. But yeah. Spiritual knowledge does. Spiritual knowledge is described to feeling like a consciousness shower like bathing the consciousness, cleansing and healing and letting go of all of the other things, all the toxins, all the negative beliefs, all of the things that we've been holding on to for so long. All the false identities are stripped away. We almost get to see ourselves face to face after such a long time when we strip away and let go of all our false designations and roles that we've been playing. Mm. And what do you do like, Wait, whose podcast is this? I know, this? I know. I just got a question for you, though. I got a question for you, though. Oh, my. It's like, I don't know if it's like this for you, but for me, I will have the, like, that was one of them on the plane. I'll have these, like, flashes of very high moments. Mm. High is, like, the best way I can explain it, where it feels like, well, I've heard the word Satori. Is this, do you know this word? It's like a flash of enlightenment. Right. Yeah. And... What do you do with that after is like, is that, am I supposed to always feel like that? Cause it's almost like it ends. Yeah. Right. It's like I had that moment on the plane, but at some point that moment ended Yeah, and I went back to a more normal or default state. And then you kind of like, like the default state less because mm. you experience this other thing. That's beautifully explained, man. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So what it's explained as 
in the Vedic literatures is shadow experiences. So a good example is when you're touring, let's say I came with you, I would get to experience everything like I was Mike. I'd get to be in your VIP space. If, if you took me as a friend, I'd get to be in your zone. I'd get to see things from your perspective. But I'm not Mike. I'm just experiencing the shadow of experiencing it through you. And in spiritual traditions, whether we're with an incredible teacher or a guru or we're with a book, that energy kind of is infectious and spills over onto us and we get that high. And then what we need to do is unpack it so that we can live that high continuously every single day. And what often happens with epiphanies or, or these moments is that we don't unpack them. We just let them be one-off experiences. But you can feel like that every single day if we choose to unpack and learn through that process of almost reverse engineering, like what was that moment trying to teach me? What did I really gain from it? Like, why did that happen at that state? What was I doing right? And then you can feel that way again, but it's this also- This is scary though. Go on. This is, this is the reason it's scary is because if you're right, this is a, what you should spend your life doing. But if you're wrong, if, if you can't feel that every day, if that's not possible, this is a good way to waste your life. Mm -hmm. And not only that, you like could very easily slip into hating normalcy mm -hmm. because you've experienced this flash and you think something's wrong with not being there all the time. Mm -hmm. And this is, I struggle with this because mm -hmm. I go, oh yeah, well, let me unpack it. Let me do this work to get there and I can feel like that every day. But then part of me is like, what, what, if there, what if you can't really feel like that? What if you, sure. this is what it's supposed to be like now, yeah. you know, or just make peace with this? Yeah. Well, what, yeah. And I, and I think it's both. I think it is both. I think having that flash, the fact that you've had that experience is proof to you that there is more. Yes. It's proof to you that there is a greater purpose beyond our existence. There is greater meaning. There is greater fulfillment. And right now you're totally right. Our current state is this. So if we don't make peace with this, if we don't accept this, if we don't learn to navigate this and constantly live in the chasing mindset, then yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna feel depressed every single day. So that's what I was just saying earlier that the process and the destination are the same. Mm. It shouldn't be seen as separate. We see the epiphany as the destination or a milestone when actually the process on a daily basis itself can be rewarding, you know? Yeah. It's like the creation of the song and the song. You can't really strip them away from each other, right? Correct. Correct. We went right for it, huh? Yeah. We're like five minutes in. I know. <laughs> I love it. It's great. It's great, man. This is what makes this hit the ground running so beautiful. Yeah, I love it. You start interviewing me, though. You're you're the one with all the insights. For sure. We. This is a. Yeah. This is a because I struggle with this. Yes. This up and down, you know, mm. and you know, I'll go on retreat or something, or spend some time. Like last this summer, I spent some time in solitude at the monastery for like 12 days and they go really high and you come back in life and I get tripped up, you know, fight with my sister or something, you know, and, and it's like party wants to go back to the monastery where you can like control everything, but this is in life, you yeah. know, always. And, and, and that's the beauty like, of yeah, it. Yeah. Dealing with the. And that's the beauty of it that when you come back, 
into reality, you get an opportunity to learn how to navigate it. Taking that information, taking that insight, taking those experiences from the monastery, wherever you're taking them from, and then getting them to play out in life. That's part of the, that's part of the experience. I know that when I left being a monk, I actually feel I've had more reflections and realizations since leaving because I've had to put into practice everything I learned than when I was a monk. Because when I was a monk, it was protected. It was. It was, it was harder after, I presume, right? It was harder initially. It was harder initially. Yes, it was harder. But then it became more fulfilling because I really had to dig deep. I really had to rethink. And I had to approach everything with a new, fresh set of eyes and experiences. So it's actually become more meaningful. Yeah, I could. Yeah. I'm not there. No, don't, this neither am I. Like, it's a daily process. Yeah. I'm not there either, man. This is like, so it, I was on, I, t- I t- tell you, I was on this retreat, spent like t- 12 days alone. And I was mm. like all the way alone. I was in this little cabin on this monastery. You know, they drop the food off once a week in like a box, you know, and you pick. So you don't see anyone for a whole week. You know, I'm like meditating five to seven hours a day. And after like a week or so, I'll get to this point where my mind got quiet, quieter. You know, where, you know, usually I look at a flower and my brain goes, so this is a rose. This is the last time I saw a rose. Da, 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 da. This one isn't quite as pretty. Talking, talking, talking. And a few times on this retreat, I got to a point where I would hear a bird song, it's like a quiet mind. And it's just like cripplingly beautiful. Like I would start crying, you know, or see the moon without my mind saying anything. And like, it just, you just can't even explain how beautiful it is. Mm. So then it's like, okay, I want to go home and like do that with people too. Mm. It's like, listen, but I, I can't do it. And like I, when I talk with someone, my brain is going all the time, time, time. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's like this integration. Yeah. You know? And it's natural because that space is carrying that energy because people for decades, I don't know about the particular monastery you went to, but people for decades have been practicing higher levels of consciousness, alternate levels of consciousness in that space. So that's carried. Mm. I always say that location has energy and time has memory. So the that location lo- has energy and time has memory. So that location is carrying that energy. And the time that you spend there is carrying that memory with you. So now what it's about is being able to recreate that outside of that physical space. Because if it is an altered state of consciousness, you can carry it with you and create that state in yeah. a new space because it's not bound by physical boundaries. Correct. So, Correct. So it, it takes time and I'm practicing it daily too. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not coming at as a, as a point of being an expert at all. I'm coming from a always trying to create the state I want to be in. Yeah. Not accepting the state that is given to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a real gift if you can listen to someone that way with a quiet mind. Because, yeah, usually when we're listening, we're actually talking in our head about what the other person is saying. And we're listening to our voice, that commentary, as opposed to their voice. So when you can really listen in that deep way. It's, it's a real gift to give to someone else. It's difficult to do. That's why it's such a gift because it's rare, you know? Yeah, yeah. I did it once with my mom. I was like meditating and she walked in and I was like, 
And it felt so good. Because I could recognize the things that like usually would trip me up and I would get upset or judge her about. And it was just really listening to what she was trying to say behind the words even, you know. It was like this beautiful moment, you know. Did she feel different as well? I don't know. Okay. It's so hard to tell. I've had both of these experiences where I've like been in one of these like flashes. There was once in Hawaii. I was with a friend of mine and it was like, it was one of those moments, you know, we weren't even talking. We we're just looking out over like this cliff is beautiful. And I remember I was like this and we gave each other a hug. And then later the day he was like, man, some crazy happened when we, we hugged right there. I, like, I felt this, he felt something. And I thought, oh, when I feel some, maybe other people are too. And I, another time I was with uh, my girlfriend at the time and I had just meditated one day and I'm like feeling like high. I'm like loopy, you know, riding in the car. And and I was being quiet. I was very quiet because I was like having this experience internally. And then later I talked to her about it, like two days later. She was like, yeah, I, I thought you were really mad at me. And I was like, she was in a different place. She wasn't high with me. So I never know mm. exactly what other people are feeling. I used to think I could. I used to think, oh, they're feeling what I'm feeling always, but I don't think so. <laughs> not, not all the time. It's harder, yeah. Yeah. It is hard. It is hard. And I think that's the challenge that we have, that when we've had a moment and experience, our mind forces us to want to relive that experience rather than have a powerful new one. And the pain actually comes from always going to go back to where we were it's an attachment. Move forward to where we can, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's actually where the pain comes from. The pain comes from wanting to have the same experience, not believing that there is one that can supersede that again in the future. And also, it, it, it's impossible to have an experience twice. Totally. 100%. Just, you can't even do it. Yeah. And it's just the trick of the mind. Yeah, my mind's always yeah, doing that. It's just the dude. trick of the mind that's constantly trying to, whether, yeah, whatever it is, not just spiritual experiences, any experience, even if it's a material experience, your mind's tricking you to want to recreate it again and again and again. So we keep coming up with new ways of having the same experience. So here, here's, a, <laughs> here's a good question for you. I'm sorry, just, I'm just so curious. I know you're supposed to be asking me questions. I've but. got so many good questions. Anyway, go on. This is fun. This seems to me to be like, two kinds of teachers nowadays when i think of like contemporary spiritual teachers there's one school that says you can train your mind to think better thoughts think more positively get rid of like negative stories or limiting beliefs etc can journal and meditate and do these things and cleanse the mind make the mind more healthy that's school one and then there's another school I feel like that says, nope, the mind is inherently dirty. And what you need to do is recognize that you're not your mind. And maybe it's both of those things. I don't know together, mm. but I have trouble because I feel like I have a toe here and a toe there. You know what yeah. I mean? It's tough because one day I'll be like, I'll notice myself thinking negative thoughts mm -hmm. and I think, oh, I need to stop doing that. Mm. Or do I just need to recognize that's what minds do? Yeah. I don't know. No, that's great. I think How do you think about that? That's an awesome that? question, man. I'm so glad. This is a brilliant question. So I look at it from the point of the Vedas or the Bhagavad Gita and, and that tradition, that school of thought, because 
that school of thought has given me in my research of stoicism and my research of all alternative ways of thinking, I found a lot of good answers there. So the principle is suggested as this, that the mind, its function is to desire and want and will, right? That's the, that's the function of the mind. What's often missed out in any of these schools of thought is the position of the intelligence. So the mind is compared to a child and the intelligence is compared to an adult. And so we are not the mind, definitely. That's for sure. We are not the mind. We are consciousness beyond the mind. But there is an interaction with every thought between the mind and the intelligence. So for example, I'll paint a, paint a picture because it's easier. The, let's say you've decided that you want to go on a diet, right? Let's say you've decided you want to go on a diet, you want to eat healthy stuff. The mind sees a chocolate fudge cake. I'm picking that because I love chocolate fudge cakes. So the mind sees a chocolate fudge cake and the mind goes, I want that right now. I need to have that. Like I need that chocolate fudge cake. And, and you think the chocolate fudge cake's looking at you saying, eat me, right? Like you think that. And so the mind's having this whole conversation. The mind thinks back to every time it's had chocolate fudge cake and how happy it feels when it has that. And you think, yeah, I need to have this fudge cake. I need it. Then it's the role of the intelligence based on how, how much you've strengthened your intelligence. Your intelligence will say to the mind, no, we want to eat healthy. We want to be healthy. We're going to save that for cheat day. But if your intelligence is weak, your intelligence just falls over and goes, okay, let's just have the, you know? And so that's actually the interaction that's happening daily in our minds. When we wake up in the morning, your mind says, I want to go to sleep. Your intelligence says, I want to wake up. Depending on how much, whichever one you've been feeding, whichever one you've been strengthening, that's the one that wins inside of you every single day. So that's one other school of thought to add and to how would you? How would you, one part of me goes, well, is intelligence just another part of the mind? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the more mature adult functioning part. But even that is not really us. It's We're, not. It's, it's our ability to be able to use it to steer our life in a certain way. So the, the analogy that's given is of a driver in a car. Like when you have a car accident, sometimes we're like, oh, that car hit me. But the car didn't hit you, it hit the car. So the car is like the body. Right. The intelligence is like the engine and the, the system that you're using. The steering wheel is like the intelligence. And then you, the driver of the consciousness. So each part of it is separate, but you're using a different element of it to control the other part. And how do you think of personality in this? Yeah, personality is a mix of the mind and intelligence. But do you think in our, like who we are at our deepest level is, is our personality part of that? It's like the personality part of the car is what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah, absolutely. I think so yeah, too. Yeah, I think so too. I think that, and I don't know. But I think that when I die, obviously my body will expire. But I think my personality will expire. Correct. Yeah. But I will, some essence of I'm me will you, keep going. I'm with you. But I, I, was, I remember saying to someone, I was like, man, I f I'll feel pretty bummed. Like if when I die, I'm still my personality. Like I don't want to be Mike Posner anymore. <laughs> like with the same neuroses and the same, like I want to yeah. leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah absolutely. You know yeah. No, for sure, man. I get you. We went straight in. All the way. We went all the way. I love it. I'll let you ask a question. Now. No. <laughs> if you're still listening, I hope you're not scared. No, no I'm joking. <laughs> it's great. But uh, I really wanted to talk about your new album. I genuinely did. I listened to it the other day. Thank you for listening. And I have so many questions based on it. And they're great because they are all about life, death, 
and the world that we live in, which I love. Like that's my fascination and fixation too, is figuring out our existence. And I feel like so many of your lyrics that I've picked out that I want to share with the audience listening and watching today, I want to share. So I'm going to pick out a few things here. So here, I want to dive straight in. I picked out a few lyrics and I want to dissect them with you. So one of your lyrics says, my heroes all die young. They hung themselves with fame, right? I want to know who are some of your heroes and how did they hang themselves with fame? What does that mean? This is like, uh, my heroes have kind of changed, you know, mm. as I've gotten older. But the heroes I'm talking about then, you know, it's like growing up, like the Kurt Cobain, Tupac Shakur, you know, not really Jay Dilla, but he he yeah. died young as well. Not necessarily from being famous, but, mm -hmm. you know, these kind of guys, you mm -hmm. know, that they're just incredible. They seem to burn really brightly for a short period of time. They don't fade out. They explode. Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of guys I was referring to. But as I've gotten older, I've thought, why am I idolizing them? I should probably idolize, even if, even if they're like myths or it's not real. It's like, I thought it'd probably be better to idolize like Jesus or like the Buddha, right? Even if they're like stories are fake or, or myths or not entirely factual, like there's no like flaws there. Like that's a good, nor better North star, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Than like, but there is something just really, really intriguing about this kind of like, um, genius talent that self-destructs at times you know mm. when did you first start learning about like jesus and buddha and when did they start becoming your role models and why or your heroes later in my life i mean the last like four three four or five years yeah why was that why did that shift happen actually it was i met this teacher named ramdas you know ramdas i had a friend whose mom was sick and she was friends with Ramdas. And they were gonna go visit him in Hawaii, but she died. And he called me and said, hey, look, I still wanna go on this trip. I want you to come with me though. So I said, okay, I'm gonna come. And I went and uh, we went to Ramdas's house and you know, he's had like a stroke, so he had like a motorized chair. He came in the room. And I, I had read some of his stuff and listened to some of his lectures. And he said a bunch of words I'd heard him say already, you know, like because I, I, I knew his stuff. And uh, he said one thing that stuck out. He said, you know, he said, all day long you're, you're categorizing. You say, I, I love this and I hate this. You're doing that all day. He goes, it's much easier if you just love everything. You don't have to, then you don't have to categorize anymore. It's just easier. It takes less energy. And he sort of just like, he held this space. It was less about what he's saying and more about like he would look at us, these big eyes. And it felt like we could have been serial killers or whatever. He just would have loved us this way. And I remember we walked out of his house. And this was one of those high moments and maybe one of the first ones I had where I was like, almost like keeled over and start crying. I was just like looking around. I felt like I was in a new world and I felt like I was in love with all the stuff. Like 
like the rusty gate and the dirt on the ground. I just loved it all. And it ended, you know, I felt like that the rest of the night and it ended. And I didn't feel like, you know, I didn't feel like, oh, I should pray to Ramdas now. No, I felt like, oh, this is a guy who's been doing the work for the, yeah. however many years he's been doing the work. And I thought, I want to be that for other people. Mm. This would be a, a good way to spend my life as if I could hold that kind of space. So it was one of these moments where I thought, oh, that is possible, you know, mm. to be in a space like that, a mindset like that, that people can feel like you could feel it, you know. So after that, I started listening to more of his lectures. And I think he made a point like this in one of his lectures, which was, you know, if you read someone else's, like if you read my book on spirituality, you're going to get all of the reasons that I am not enlightened does that make sense mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but if you read that something from an enlightened being like the Gita or something like this you get you just get that you know mm. which i you know i read everything you know yeah, but but this is what he said and it kind of makes sense to me you know yeah it's beautiful man yeah i remember that moment when i was 18 and i met the first monk i ever met i had a very similar experience where my role model switched it was the first time where I'd always looked up to celebrities and entrepreneurs and CEOs and influencers of any kind at that time when I was 18 years old. Then when I met a monk, that, that really shifted my journey and, and shifted how I was aspiring to be and to do. Because similarly to what you said, it kind of opened me up to a whole alternative path that I didn't know existed. So I can identify with that. And then, and then the end of that lyric, you say they hung themselves with fame. Tell me how you came to write that. This fame thing is funny. I'm sure you deal with it too, maybe better than me. But uh, it's just so easy to get addicted to it, mm. you know. I mean, still, like to this day, you know, I went to the monastery, grew my beer, whatever. But I like when people like me, you know, mm -hmm. and. Uh, you can, you can just totally self-destruct. It's like a real addiction, you know? It's like you, people would do anything, especially when you get a taste of it, you do anything to get more of it, mm. you know, and can kill yourself this way. Yeah. People do, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the cause might be an a, a overdose, something like this, but it's, it's that, you yeah. know? It's, you know, like my friend Avicii died this mm -hmm. year. It's a weird vortex, the fame thing to be in. You know, and I'm not like really famous. <laughs> I have like some friends that are like super, like, like I can like, I walked in here, you know, like, no, if someone recognized me, it's like one person. I can like talk to him for a second and I could go on with my day, you know. I have friends, you know, they, like, they can't go in public. They get like mod. It's not like that for me which I like, it's just a weird, you get into a weird, I feel it on tour, on tour, because each night I'm playing the show, people are there just for, for, you. for me, you know? So in that building, I'm like super famous, you know? <laughs> and, and then when I go on, back on the tour bus, everyone that I'm living with works for me, which is a weird, it's just weird. 
Mm. It's not real life. And then I I get used to it and I'll go out of that vortex and expect everyone to like be waiting on me and this kind of thing. And it's like, whoa, no, no, that's not reality, you know? Mm. Yeah, I want to I dive into that thought that you were saying about liking being liked. Yeah. Like we all like being liked. Yeah. Is that a bad thing? Is it a good thing? How do you, how, and this whole process you're talking about of, of fame, how have you worked through it? How have you seen your friends work through it successfully? Like what have you found? What have you learned? I know there's no perfect antidote. Sure. The first thing that pops up is, I think is probably a survival thing, right? You know, if you're, liked by the people around you, less likely to be killed by them, you know, like, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it makes sense that we have, that we like being liked if it indeed is a universal thing, which I think it pretty much is. And I'll tell you the wrong way that I've tried dealing with it. And I see other people doing this all the time from afar and from close, which is, I will try to prove my autonomy by doing the opposite of what I know you like. So there was a point in my career, like two, three years ago, where I thought, everyone knows me this one way, I'm going to do the opposite. So I feel like I can, I'm still my own guy. I'm making my own decisions. I'm not pandering to other people. So I remember I stopped. I, like, I was eating every other day. And I lost 30 pounds. And I was already a healthy weight when I started. So I was really skinny. And I dyed my hair green. I had a green mullet. And I was doing photo shoots where I was wearing like makeup and women's clothes. And there's nothing wrong with that. They actually look pretty cool. But it wasn't, the reason was messed up that I was doing it. Not the the actual thing. Some of the photos are very beautiful and this kind of thing. And The reason was I was doing the opposite to prove to myself, hey, I'm not not attached to your opinion. But if you really think about it, I'm still very much attached to your opinion. Your opinion is still dictating what I'm doing, even though it's the opposite of it, Mm -hmm. instead of just me just being me. So I don't know if I explained that very well, but explained it really well. I, I I see that all the time with musicians, artists, and you know, just people in general, where they'll be going one way, and they feel themselves becoming attached to other people's approval, and so they flip one eighty mm. to prove to themselves that they're unattached. But this this is actually still just another form of attachment. Yeah. The Gita says attachment and aversion are two sides of the same coin. So that's totally right. When you're trying to be averse, you're trying to be opposite all of a sudden. Right. But it's still an attachment. Correct. Yeah. The Gita says it in one line. <laughs> you explained it beautifully. Perfect. <laughs> you know? No, no, but you explained it beautifully. Thank as you. In it's, a great, it's a great point. I, I never even thought of it like that. I never realized that that's how a lot of people try and deal with it. That's an interesting observation. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I think I'm still figuring it out. One way I think that really helps is just the way I spend my time mm. in a day. You know, take time to meditate each day, exercise just like with a couple of friends, 
you know, play basketball, we go to the gym. And then you just get this time away where you're not even thinking about any of these things and you can kind of revisit them with a little more perspective. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is I take like tons of time off between albums. Two years. Yeah. Where I, I, you know, I'm writing, but I'm also like experimenting, exploring. I'm going to the monastery or, you know, like I did like a Vipassana retreat (laughs) this summer. Just, just playing around with different modes of consciousness and trying to tap into these different things, reading different books and. You know, hopefully give a little more perspective. I know that's not a super sexy answer, but I don't know if there is Bro, one. Bro, that was a great answer. Yeah, I don't know if there is I just one love for that. Your, uh, when I'm doing these podcasts with everyone listening, I'm not looking for the right answer or a perfect answer or a sexy answer. I'm looking for original, unique you answers, mm. like observing answers. And your observations are valuable to me. Your observations of your fame, the fame of others is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting to everyone listening because that's how we start learning about how different observations can help us as opposed to you saying, here's my three-step formula for how to deal with fame, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, it's, some people have that, that's cool, but I get more fascinated by observations. Yeah. So I, I love it. It was sexy to me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's sexy to me. I'm going to move on to the next song that I put out a lyric on because I think there's just so many and I and I want to... I have to say that the music on this album is you being the same. Like when I listened to it, it made me want to focus and be curious and be an explorer of the music. Mm. It wasn't just enjoyable. I had to be more curious as a listener. And I enjoyed that process mm. because it required more from me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's powerful. That's powerful Thank when you, you feel like intrigued to listen more. So when I was doing that, I picked out this line, another lyric. I worked the last 10 years, I'm a multimillionaire, and it's supposed to all be good, and it's not all good, right? I think you took out an expletive. I think I did. I think I did. <laughs> I haven't sworn since I was 16 years old. It's hard. Is that right? Yeah. It's that was beautiful, man. Yeah. For a while, I had the rubber band on my wrist, right. and, I, and it, it worked. Every yeah. time I'd curse, I'd snap myself, mm. and then I started yeah. cursing Sorry, again. I, I took it off. Out. I took it out. No, so. no, it's great. It's great. <laughs> but, but here you say that. So I, the question I have here is, where do you think that picture of success comes from? Because you're saying that you've, you've achieved everything that the world would have deemed. Like if you were 10 years old and someone told you you'd have all of this now that you're 30, right? You, you'd think that that yes. would, Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? We both would have I'm done. That. Yeah, you're done. But it's not. So where did that, where, and I really want to talk about that. Where do we think the ideas come from? Like, where was that put into our psychology? I don't know. Mm. Because I remember my parents saying things like, money doesn't buy you happiness, you know, which yeah. is a cliche for a reason. Sure. That most cliches are cliche because they're probably in some way true. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing people tell me this and I'm thinking, nodding my head and but in my head going, you just didn't make enough. Yeah. I'm gonna make more than you. I'm gonna be I'm gonna take it to another level. And it's just a never ending chase, you know. And and actually when you achieve your goals can be in some ways can be more depressing than not achieving them because you can achieve them and realize, hey, I thought this was actually going to solve like all the problems in my life. I thought my insecurities would disappear and 
And in my case, like, you know, I got a record deal. I had like the sports car and the house in the Hollywood Hills and the, the whole thing. I'm sitting there and I realized that my experience of life moment to moment is the same. I have all the same insecurities. I'm not like a different person. I'm not any happier. I'm not actually, I don't think, sadder either. But it's the same. Mm. And it's the disillusionment that came with thinking there was this magic bullet, finding the magic bullet, and then it not working. And going, oh, shoot. Now what? And that I think is is what the next chapters of my life has been about is the now what you know, mm-hmm. and it, there seem to be some pro- promising <laughs> leads on this yeah. path you know, <laughs> like we were talking about earlier yeah yeah. Uh, but yeah yeah that's one of the reasons why I've loved missions more than goals for so long. Explain so the difference feel, to you. Yeah, so the difference to me is goals are temporary milestones. A mission is a lifelong project. A mission is eternal. A goal is temporary. So a goal is I want to be a multimillionaire. Reached. Next goal, I want to be a billionaire. Reached. Now we have trillionaires, right? Jeff Bezos is going to be the first trillionaire. So trillionaire, right? Whatever it is, like that's a goal. It's temporary. It, it moves. It's ephemeral. Whereas a mission is something you're committed to on a day-to-day. A goal is something you experience every so often as a milestone. A mission is something that you can experience every single day because it's a path, it's a lifestyle, it's a cause you're committed to, something that you have you feel responsible for, something that you feel like you're trying to drive a change or a cultural shift, which takes longer. What's an example of a mission? So... Even if we take, let's take Martin Luther King, right? So his mission of wanting everyone to be treated by the content of the character and not the color of their skin. Like that's a mission. Like you don't just solve that overnight. Like that's something that he wanted to implant into humanity. And that can go beyond color. That can go beyond gender. It needs to, it needs to, that kind of thought process of loving and trusting and being compassionate and empathetic to all people is something that goes way beyond do we have independence or do we have a goal or did we get the right policy in place, which is so temporary and doesn't necessarily push a shift. Even for myself, like my mission that I've always stated very clearly clearly is making wisdom go viral. It's like, how do I make wisdom that has been very hidden away or has only been accessible to people who have gone to monasteries, et cetera? How do I make that really accessible to everyone in the world? That's a mission. I, I, I've got to do that every day. There's no goal. There's no like, I'm never going to have a button that says, oh, 8 billion people now have wisdom. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a number. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's how I see the difference. But I love what you're saying and I agree with you. That's why I'm, I think shifting to a mission versus a goal life still keeps you motivated, still keeps you meaningful. And it moves away from numbers to emotions. Mm. You know? But anyway, that's just my thoughts. Yeah. Good thoughts, Some man. Of my thoughts. <laughs> Those Some are good of my thoughts. thoughts. Some of my thoughts. Um, you asked the question in one of the songs, do you ever get tired being perfect? Right? And, and my big question around this is, what is perfection? Does it exist? And how do you define perfect? Like, how do you see perfection, the meaning of perfection having changed in the world that we live in today? I think what I was... I, yeah, what were you hinting at? I think, 
And I don't always know what I'm hinting at. Sure. It's kind of like sometimes the thing pops in the head and I just yeah. put it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And almost like it's not me, yeah. you know? Oh, really? That's how sometimes the songs come out. It doesn't feel like I'm possessed or anything, but right. it's like, look, you know, you have an inspired thought or a good thought. Do you really get credit for that? Because it's not like you you design the thought. That's the whole point right. of inspiration is like it came to you. It came. And so, you know, when I write a song, it's like, I don't know if I really get credit for that. It just popped in my head and I basically repeated what I heard, you know. Wow. If I write a crappy song, same thing. I don't, I don't have to, I don't get blamed for it, you know. <laughs> but so, yeah, it's, it's not always cerebral. But what I, what, when I hear that back or, you know, what I think is people that are trying to have the veil of perfection, which I, you know, I've been one of those people and I am at times still. All of us. You know, yeah. Do you ever get tired of doing that? Do you ever get tired of like trying to convince everyone that you have it all figured out? You know, that's what I meant. Yeah. I think. And I think we do get tired. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. I had a friend, actually, we have a friend in common, NQ. Oh, yeah. Who we're talking to because we do, him and I do this, where we we go out in social situations and there's some little bit of a persona I'll take on. You know, even if I'm just at a party or something, or I'm do I'm doing something. I'm like mm. trying to be, and it's very close to me, but it's not quite me, mm. and it's not always detectable, even to me at the time. But the difference is, it's exhausting, mm. and I'll leave a social interaction like, oh, yeah. Whereas I believe if you're being authentic and you're there like in the Ram Dass interaction like that that was rejuvenating as opposed mm. to exhausting yeah, yeah. absolutely you man. ever felt that exhaustion 100% yeah I, I compare it to I compare it to method acting it's like being a method actor where you've so engrossed in a role that you're trying to play <laughs> that you forget who you are and and you're just playing that role the whole time you're basically Call acting yeah. just acting just actors yeah, no, absolutely. No, I've, I've done that before tons. And, and it's been the same for me. I think that's a great way you've put it. It's exhausting. That's number one. And the second thing is you start playing it so well that you forget who you are. Right. So you think it's your reality. Right. And this, I think, is compounded going back to, by fame. Mm. Because with fame, look, I think that's a pretty universal thing, mm -hmm. right? What we just talked about. It gets compounded by fame because not only are you doing a an act that you think is you, other people now have an expectation of an act. Yeah. And you don't want to disappoint them. So this pressure is, is um, exacerbated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're spot on. It's compounded by the fact that all these people are expecting you to show up as that person. Correct. And Correct. now you have to show up as that person, even if you don't feel like that person today. Correct. Yeah, it's like having to put on a, Halloween suit every day yeah. as in like having to put on a it's, costume. It's so funny. Like it's, I go through so many ebbs and flows every day. And I don't know if this is like normal other people, but like, look, every afternoon I get kind of depressed. Every single one. Like you, like I feel it already. Like I'll get a little tired, you know, it's like, 
<laughs> you know, it's like in the mornings, like when I first wake up, I'm like kind of sluggish. Then I'll like meditate, I'll exercise, and then I'm up, you know, and I feel like kind of high in the yeah. morning. And it's like this all the time. And there's all these colors and emotions and and shades of colors of, of how I feel each day. And then I'll have like one song of the thousands of songs I write that becomes super famous. That's a glimpse you know, just like a snapshot of one of those moments. And then there's an expectation that that's you. Mm. You know, it's like 11, 13, three years ago on a Tuesday. That's you. And it's like, no, nah, that that's me at 11, 13, three mm. years ago. That's mm. who I was right then. Wow. But this is me, you know. Yeah. I love that. I think it's great. And and I think you just repeating that and saying that is putting that message more out into the world for everyone else who's listening to actually get that message too. That let's not be defined by just that one glimpse of our life, whether it's good or bad, even mm. right? Because we just let ourselves be. Defined. Yeah, a human being is in impossibly just impossibly complex mm -hmm. and beautiful. At the same, you know, this is the moment this summer, I was thinking about how, like, the difference between what's real and what's not. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the microphone here, this is real, I would say, for just our sake of discussion, let's say this is real. Like, it exists in reality. I can touch it. It's there. And I was on retreat, and I was thinking, I have this map, like, map of, in my head, like, where I've, what I've accomplished, what I want to accomplish, it's like a trajectory. But then I thought that map is not real because it doesn't exist anywhere but in my thoughts. Like I just made it up. In the same way that that is not real, who I think I am, which to me was like my facts of my personal history, mm -hmm. my name, my occupation, my age mixed with like memories of emotions that I have, like mm -hmm. emotional reactions mixed with like, honestly, archetype characters from movies or books, all that mashed up. That's like, that's who I am. It's like my personality. Mm -hmm. That's who I am in my head. And I thought, that's not real either. No. It literally does not exist. And other people have an idea of who I am, but it's not even the same one that I have in my head. And it's just, yeah, like I was spending so much energy like curating this thing in my head and like making it look perfect. But A, no one else sees it. B, it's not there. It's not a real thing, you yeah. know? It's just so silly. We yeah. do that like all day long. Like I have to do this or accomplish this or act in a certain way in order to keep this idea of myself, this picture of myself that I have looking beautiful mm -hmm. or add some stroke to it. But it's not, it's not there. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, it's true that, that you reminded me of literally my favorite quote. I say this everywhere because it's, it's such an inspiration for so much of my work. In 1902, a sociologist named Cooley said that today I'm not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. Right. So right. we live in a perception of a perception of ourselves, meaning if I think Mike thinks I'm happy, 
then I feel happy. And if I think Mike thinks I'm weak, then I'll feel weak. So we're basing how we feel about ourselves on how we think others feel about us. And that's that picture you're constantly trying to mold in your mind constantly. Like, what does this person think? Okay, what do, what do they think? What do I think? How do I, what mm-hmm. do I add to this? And then we get lost trying to build this. And it wasn't even real in the first place. Right. It was just a perception of a perception. You know, a funny flip on this is, or addition perhaps, Go on. is what I believe go- is going on in your head is a function of what's going on in my head. Does yeah. this make sense? Yes, so, yes, yes. So the, uh, what I suspect you're thinking about is really just the crap I think about because that's all I have. I've never been in anyone else's head. I've only been in my head. I know my thoughts. So I assume you're having some yeah. these kind of thoughts. I use the example of, of weight like because I... When I stopped eating, I had this thing, I would get hung up on weight. I was always looking at people's weight all the time, obsessing over it. And I thought, oh, people think I look fat or this way. And I realized they're not thinking that's what I think they're thinking. And what I think they're thinking is based on what I think. Yeah. And so it's like, just to simplify it, it's like, in order to not feel judged, judge less. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because then, you know, if you're not walking around judging people, you'll assume, you won't assume they're judging you. That makes sense. I love that. That's beautiful. In order to not feel judged, judge less. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's great advice. That's great advice. That's, yeah, that's a great flip. I like it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Now, I want to talk about this because I think it's important for the album that we're talking about right now. Like, you lost someone really important to you last year, your father. There's, you know, someone obviously extremely special to you. How's that affected, built, created this album? How's that, how have you been processing that? A lot of different ways and in, in, in some ways real explicit and other ways very ambiguous. And I'm sure in some ways I don't even see or understand yet. But look, I, you know, I had an amazing father for 29 years. So the first thing is like when you when you have loss, you had to have at first had in order to even feel loss. So very just like gently and subtly, you can go from this like feeling of being cheated or something like this to just having gratitude for the thing being there in the first place. Beautiful. And be you know, look, I'm sure you do, and I I certainly do. You know, I have a lot of friends I grew up with in Detroit and Southfield that either never knew their dad or dad was in their life the way mine was. And it almost feels like silly to me to be too sad mm. because I had this amazing gift. And how can I complain about having something awesome for 29 years and say, hey, I should have had it 30 or I should have had it 31. Like, nah, man, you don't get to decide that. You know, <laughs> that's not for you to decide. So I deal with it in different ways. This is how I feel on this couch. There are other times where I'll be playing my guitar alone in the hotel and I'll start crying. Mm. And I miss him and I'll go, dang, he's really gone. And there are other times where I'll be meditating or I'll be performing. And I feel, I swear I can like feel him around. It feels like an ener- energy, such like a buzzword, but it feels like it's not like he's standing there in his body. It just feels like his, and it's a weird thing to talk about 
no good way to talk about it, but it's not weird at all. Yeah, man. I feel like I can I can feel him around. He's an energy, and there's another part of death, which is quite a beautiful reminder for you to get your life together, mm-hmm. because the real thing about death that people get tripped up on is it reminds you you're gonna die, mm-hmm. and this can be a really good thing to get that reminder because. It puts in perspective what really matters. Hey, am I doing, you know, a lot of us have a list of things that we we want to do when we're done doing what we think we have to do. And, you know, when my dad died, I was like, I'm next. I look just like that guy. <laughs> you know, when I look at a picture of him, he's 30, it's like, it's me, you know? So the next guy, you know, is me. And... I started looking back at this list of stuff that I actually want to do and start doing it, you know, start doing it. And obviously, you know, my album is a lot. He's on my album, you know, recordings of us talking. So he influenced my music this way, in a big way, this record. And so, yeah, it's, it's just a lot. It's a lot, you know, it's implicit and explicit ways. He's a He's a great guy, great man. You know, the older I get, the more I understand how beautiful of a man he was. You know, when I think about or I see friends that like have families or or kids and really seeing what that actually entails, it's a lot. And I think about, you know, when I was on the basketball team in high school, I never played. I was really short and I just sat on the bench. He would be at every single game. He'd be the first parent there. I remember one time he said, Mike, I'm really sorry. He was an attorney. He said, I have a case. I can't move it. I'm going to miss the game. I remember thinking like, all good, man. I don't play anyways. I don't know if you noticed, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I just sit there. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember our, it was an away game. This was like in Pontiac, which is, you know, 34 minutes away. Our bus pulled up. We get off the bus. like We're there like an hour too early to warm up. And there's one guy in the stands. It's my dad. He's like, I moved the case. You know, I got it. He was just always there. He always showed up, you know. Wasn't a perfect man. No one is. But, yeah, I love that. I love that guy, man, forever. He was funny, too, man. He was a goofball, man. (laughs) Silly guy and beautiful. I just, this loving, loving you know that's beautiful man thank you so much for sharing so openly and that's you know for anyone who's ever lost anyone i'm sure something that you've said here today is going to help them too yeah you know and another thing i i've i've spoken there's a guy i know who's become a friend he's a hospice chaplain so he helps people die and mm-hmm. helps families of people and he says, the one thing you could count on grief to do is to surprise you. So often we, we feel something, you know, when we have this loss. And the, next, or the biggest question is like, is this right? Should I be feeling this way? Mm. And the answer is, there's no right. Grief is surprising. It's going to hit you when you're not suspecting it. Sometimes longer. You know, people expect, oh, it's been a year yeah, why am I You're not? good, you yeah. know. But it's not how it works. Mm. It's not how it works. And for me, I actually wasn't even sad when my dad died. I thought, man, I had my dad. 
It was beautiful. He wasn't in pain. All my family's here. We're having this beautiful funeral. We're celebrating his life. I didn't cry. I was smiling. That's how, that's, it's not wrong, right or wrong. It's just how I felt, you know? Later, my mom was playing, eight months later, she's playing like a, checking her voicemail, you know, and she's going through the, and one, she gets to one of my dad when he's alive. He, he was sick. I lost it. I was like weeping, man. Like a baby, I started weeping. And it's not right or wrong. It's just, we each have our own path with, with grief, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so, it's so easy that with a physical scar, you like watch it heal. You can see it. Mm -hmm. You know that you're applying something on it that's letting it heal, that's getting a scar on it, et cetera. You can see the wound getting covered and then it disappears. But emotionally, it's almost like, oh yeah, it's been a month. You must be better now. But it's, you know, you can't see it. And so the only person who's experiencing it in different ways all the time is you yourself. Mm -hmm. And that healing process is totally unique, totally different for each person. And you can't put a time limit on it or you can't put a expectation on it. But because we can't see it, we kind of just pretend like it's not there. Yeah, yeah. We, we make up a schedule. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's been a year. I should be over this yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Not Maybe. based on anything. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, man. I really appreciate it. No problem. And your dad sounds amazing. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy to hear you celebrate his incredibleness. You know, for the time that you had. Uh -huh. It's so beautiful to hear that, man. So beautiful to hear that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And and now you're at this place where you're 30 and you talk about being stuck in the middle <laughs> on your album. That's how I feel, right? And and I feel like we've talked a lot about getting to 30 and what's happened before and the, the songs and the, the fame and the money and all of this. Like when you're saying you're stuck in the middle, how is your perspective currently on the next? Not, I'm not even going to go too far, but on the next like 12 months, the next, you know, how, what is your perspective? What's changed? Where is that stuck in the middle song inspired by? It was a funny thing is like a lot of times songs, they'll come before I actually live them. Mm. The song will mm. come first and then I live the, live out the song after. Sometimes. This is how it is with stuck in the middle. The last verse of this song is people love the old me. I don't know where he's gone. Too tired to be famous, too vain to be unknown. This is how I feel. Like I have a toe in both. Like, <laughs> like I know that I know becoming more famous or more successful is not really gonna change my life. But there's part of me still that like I really want like to have more hit songs and this this kind of thing. It's like the grip has been loosened, but my hand's still on it. Mm. And then there's this other part of me that like doesn't care <laughs> it's like you know off at the monastery or where and like i can't you know what i mean it's like mm. it's the polar opposites it's like mm. pop star like monastery you know? <laughs> it's like, and like one day i'm like at the grand other day i'm like there you know it's yeah. like that's where like and stuck in the middle yeah but maybe my friend said to me, maybe you're not stuck. Maybe you're just in the middle. Yeah. That's where you're supposed to be, you know? Yeah. I can relate to that. I, I love paradoxes. I, I myself feel like a paradox. I felt like a paradox my whole life. I'm right in the middle too. I, I lived as a monk and now I do media and I feel so much. But what I do know is that in my own way, I'm refining my intentions on a daily basis aspiring to use any platform I have for something higher than myself. Mm. Because I know myself that 
after having been a monk for three years and, and lived in a monastery and an ashram for three years, I didn't feel like I was fulfilling my purpose either because I wanted to really give what I learned. And I had this desire to share it because I can't get away with who I am as a person. I've always been driven. I've always been motivated. I've always been someone who wants to share, et cetera. So I can't get away from that artificially. And if I do, I'll only end up feeling useless. And then at the other end, I also know that I have to be wary that I don't get too caught up in the world because then I can lose that monk. And so for me, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think being in the middle is such a beautiful place to be. It just re requires a ton more work. And that's our challenge. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's how I see it. Like, <laughs> you're reminding me of my own challenge to myself that when you want to operate at either end, ignorance is bliss or, or wisdom is bliss. And then when you're trying to be in both, you're like in the middle, you're, yeah. you're having to, you know, make yeah. sense. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yes, it does. Ignorance is bliss when you're like full in the world, like full hedonistic. Yeah. Wisdom's bliss. You're full in the monastery. Yeah. And like having both those in your life integrated is. Yeah. That's the real No work. small task. Yeah. yeah. We're like setting ourselves up for the hardest thing. <laughs> I'm going to have to learn from you. I'm going to have to no, learn bro. <laughs> No, bro. I'm here to learn from you. That's why I was trying to hijack your interview and ask you all the questions, man. <laughs> no, it's all, man. You've given like what I'm listening to you. Like this, by the way, for everyone who's listening, when you listen to this album, which I really, really recommend that you do, because when I was listening to it, I was exploring. Like if you're fascinated by what Mike's saying on the podcast right now, if you're watching this, hearing this, when you listen to the album, you'll be able to see it mirror across. It's such a profound piece of work. Thank it's you. profound. Like that's, that's the right you. way to put it. And, and yeah, if you're a fan of Mike or if you've, I'm sure you've heard some of his stuff. If you haven't, this is, this is the stuff that, you know, I want you to listen to. Thank you. But yeah. We spent a lot of time. Yeah, it's weird making these albums like perhaps like a dying form of art the album because people as don't as much listen to them through but i sort of don't care because i do listen to albums through and i i love albums and so we spend like months on transitions and song order and transitions like a lot of my songs will connect you know the You'll see the 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 marker go from like track four to track five, but the music doesn't, there's no change, you know, there's no like break. And so, yeah, we spend like a lot of time on that. You know, it's like, I don't know if anyone's going to listen, but like, yeah, we did. Yeah, no, I, I still remember the feeling of looking forward to an album coming out and like going to buy the, the CD and like opening up the pack and mm. like I... I still love listening to albums because the songs that you hear on the radio are never anyone's best songs, in my opinion. Like they're, they're a good starting point, but they're like mm. the taster. Right. You know, they're like the free, free meal, but it's like you want, you, want the, you want the full experience. And with your process is different, right? Like you don't put a single out, put a single out, put a single out and test. You kind of build the whole thing because you don't want to be affected by it. That's what I yeah. read from your work when I was doing my research. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's wrong to do it this no, way. No, I have no, a yeah. friends, you know, they they will they make you know half the album. They'll put a single out, and if and they'll they'll see what people say about it, and then they'll finish the album get, with that information. Mm. I don't like this way. I like to do the whole thing, just and I don't let anyone hear it except mm. for my friends that are working on it. My manager doesn't hear it. No one at the record label hears it. 
no one mm-hmm. until I make this thing how I want, how I, I think is great. Mm-hmm. And then I'll play it for a few friends I trust, get feedback. I'll go from there. If the feedback hits me in that tender place where I know that it's right, I'll address it. And if it's not, if I think they're wrong in my heart, I don't address it. And then I go to record label and say, here's my album. It's done. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. It's done. It's mm-hmm. awesome, man. I've got the five big questions for you that I always Woo! talk about. I want to hear you play as well, but these are five big questions. So the first big question is, what's the best thing you've ever let go of? The best thing I've ever let go of. That you're happiest about letting go of. Mm. Because you've really cleansed, you've healed your work, you're doing the work. So I would say there's been a few times where I, I've moved into my van, not because I, I had fallen on hard times, because I felt like my possessions were weighing me down. Mm. So like, yeah, I, I had this, I owned a house in the Hollywood Hills and I had a Porsche sports car and I had like more sneakers than... I even knew I had, and everything. I was just moving to my van. I bought this like good little conversion van, and I put this stuff like some clothes in it that I needed in there, and my guitar, and it doesn't fit very much. And the rest I just I donated. So I would say all that stuff. Well, let go of it, man. <laughs> and I just felt lighter. Nice, you know. It's awesome, man. Question number two. I saw that on your website, you have a hate mail section. Yeah. Tell me how that all came about and how you deal with criticism. I copied this from uh, my friend, Amanda Palmer. Okay. Who's an amazing artist and writer. For me, it was just a good way to like, when I was on social media, now I have someone post for me. Right. I'll write the post and they do it because I try not to read the comments. But before I used to be on there, and I probably will have to go back to just to because I like having dialogue mm-hmm. with my listeners. But involved with that is reading some pretty negative things mm-hmm. about yourself. And before they used to just really hurt my feelings. But then I started amassing them and I made this section of my website called Hate Mail and I would repost. And suddenly the same message that seemed really mean and <laughs> hurtful it became funny. Yeah. They were just became fun. And I'd like read them out loud with my mom. And we'd both just be cracking up, yeah. you know? <laughs> it reminds me of the last scene of Eight Mile when Eminem goes and shares all the bad stuff he already knows about himself. Yeah. He said, tell these people something they don't know about me. Yeah. They don't already know about me, right? Yeah. 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 And it's like when you've done that, it's like no one else has got anything left to say. Exactly. Because you've already said it. Exactly. I love that, man. Okay. Question number three. The best advice you've ever received? The first one that comes to mind? Probably that Ram Dass advice. Mm, I liked it. Just love everything. It's way easier. It's way easier. Don't, don't. I'm repeating it, but you know, all day long, you know, it's just it's like, I like this, I don't like this. I love this, I hate that. Just love everything. It's easier. It's less exhausting. Mm. I love it. I love that too. Thanks for repeating it. Where do you feel change in the world is going to come from individually, collectively, positive change? Where is it going to come from? There has to be a sh- an internal shift in everyone. Mm. 
individually. I mean, look, all of us know like you know, war is bad and we know like we need to do more for the environment and we know the planet's getting warmer. But the, uh, our action is not lined up with our knowledge, right? It's the same thing. It's like everyone knows how to lose weight. Everyone knows. Like they know, everyone knows what foods are unhealthy, exercise more. But still, many people with that knowledge do not lose weight, even though they want to. So, so people have to, there has to be a shift in the, I think, like what we talk opened up about, you know, that we are not our minds. Mm. You know, we are more than our minds. How to deal with minds that have crazy thoughts mm-hmm. and have thoughts that don't serve us and don't serve us as as a species either. Mm-hmm. And there's to be a shift to where we actually see our species as a, as a collective. You know, it's like, you know, I see the thing about someone starving in Africa and it's like, I understand it's bad, but people don't, people don't stop what they're doing. There's still a degree of apathy there. So, and I think this is a moving in the right direction. I think we're getting there, mm. but not yet. Mm. But, That's a great answer, man. And final question. Would you like to play us something? Yeah. So have a do you have a request have a special no you no your inspiration i always go with your inspiration i don't want to think about what i think you're thinking about playing so <laughs> i'm gonna let you go with your inspiration uh, your answers are inspirational so i'm excited for this okay Perfume on my shirt Puts me in the past Too tough to be without her But too afraid to ask Here I am again Stuck in the middle Here I am again, stuck in the middle Too young to settle down Too old to be in bars It's hard to take it easy It's easy to be hard Here I am again Stuck in the middle 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 Forgive me, I am building my ship as it sails How do I become who I want to be while still remaining myself? 
People love the old man I don't know where he's gone Too tired to be famous Too vain to be unknown Here I am again Stuck in the middle Here I am again Stuck in the middle Here I am again Stuck in the middle Here I am again Stuck in the middle. Oh, wow, that's amazing, man. Thank you. You're creating from such a deep place, man. <laughs> Thank you, man. I'm being serious. Thank like, you. I'm I'm excited to it's it's fitting that's I love that song and it's fitting that I genuinely think that if you're able to use this incredible platform that you've already achieved and you're able to grow it only for the sole purpose of wanting to learn more and share powerful messages with the world, you're going to have an incredible impact on people's lives, man. Like at a scale that no one else can. It's going to be insane because you're really doing the work and I can, I can feel it. I can see it. And, and I, and I want people to experience that. And I feel like you've been given this incredible, unique talent, not only have you got an incredible voice, not only are you such a talented artist, but you've spent time doing the work. Thank you. And that's going to transpire into people's lives if you just keep doing it, man. In the middle. That's just there. In the middle. In the middle. Not stuck. Yeah. Just in the, in the pocket. Yeah. In the middle, man. <laughs> you want to hear another song? Yeah, go for it. I'm loving this, man. It's beautiful. want to hear another one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Somebody told me God is simply what we don't know I saw a butterfly, it was dead but it was gorgeous And all the robots are just walking down the sidewalk Kings of the little empires that they made up And now Dusty got shot and then Osher got married Stewie's still dead and commitment's still scary And I got a new woman but I treat her like my old one If I keep this shit up I know I'ma be with no one Now Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't think anything matters. I don't really care at all. You want to start a revolution, but nobody cares and everyone's tired. Work a little bit harder, and baby, so will I. You want a revolution, but nobody cares and everyone's tired. And the promenade's filled with a gray cloud It's dripping black all over the playground And the museum's all filled with the Snapchat Got the head of a dog in my backpack And underneath all my clothes is a snakeskin That I stole from the temple when it caved in Cause they built it too close to the fault line When the capital burned we were all high On the beautiful mess we created There's a thought in my mind this is sacred in the future this will all be ancient And the water in the sink has been tainted With the urine of the governor's firstborn On his second birthday he got a surfboard But he crashed it ever since he's been dirt poor So he picked up the guitar he's trying to learn chords And time wrote a new constitution And Jimmy wants to start a revolution And the people want to start it all over Cause the poets just murdered all the soldiers And the monks have God on their shoulders And the world's just another day older I said a time wrote a new constitution And Jimmy wants to start a revolution My week is wide open We need to. I wish there was like an audience here, man. I'm like, <laughs> next time. Yeah, we're gonna have to. When I go do my world tour, I'm gonna be getting you to try and get you to come sing. Let's these go, songs, man. That'd like, be fun, yeah, bro. Because, oh, that's beautiful, man. Thank you. It's, Thank it, you. It's it's always more beautiful when the person singing is seeking at the same time. Mm. So. That was incredible, man. Thank, Thank you. you. I feel so blessed being able to watch that live. Thank you for having me. No, I hope we're going to continue our friendship. and We are, yeah. for sure. Yeah, we talk for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that I always ask this because it's important to me, because like I said to you before that this podcast is an opportunity for me to serve you and it's an opportunity for me to help highlight the incredible work you're doing. Is there anything that I haven't let you share, you haven't been able to share, you think we've missed? There's a message nope. that's intuitively in your veins right now that needs no. to come out. I think we did it. Yeah. I think we got it. Awesome, man. For now, Wiz, obviously we could talk more. Yeah, yeah we're going to get together again and <laughs> I do got this. questions for you, man. Yeah, I'm excited, man. Thank you, bro. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Mike. The album is out. We're not sharing a date, but if you're listening to this, the album's out right now. Correct. So I want you to go and get it, listen to it. I promise you, if you found this conversation exhilarating and it took you somewhere, then then the album will 
do beyond that. So thank please, you, please, please go check it out, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Thank you so much for listening through to the end of that episode. I hope you're going to share this all across social media. Let people know that you're subscribed to On Purpose. Let me know. Post it. Tell me what a difference it's making in your life. I would love to see your thoughts. I can't wait for this incredibly conscious community we're creating of purposeful people. You're now a part of the tribe, a part of the squad. Thank you for being here. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. Thank you.